Much of American history, the uh, idea of the illusionist has been something that's been a part of our entertainment culture, from Houdini in the early 20th century all the way up to some of the modern practitioners. I think of somebody like Penn and Teller or David Copperfield. Perhaps you're familiar with them. They, if they're really good, they have a bit of a following and they have these grand venues in which to do their illusions. They often, Las Vegas is not without any number of illusionists at any given time. And part of the, what makes them interesting and attractive is that the, the illusions that they're doing are fairly big, whether it's disappearing a pride of lions, it, they're here one moment and then they're over there the next, or a massive automobile or some, some kind of small structure. Uh, you look at that, whether that's on YouTube or if you've actually been to one of these, part of my misspent corporate days. Uh, you know, if you see one of those, you think and, and you, what you're seeing is you realize that that's not real. You know that that's an illusion. What you don't know but want to know is how is it done? Your immediate reaction when you see it is how is that possible? I know it's not really possible, but how are they doing that trick? How are they making that happen. But here in our text today, in the gospel reading that Cindy just shared with us, we come to the, the focal point is, is on Elizabeth and particularly on Mary, on her expression of what God has done for her. And unlike the illusionist, you look at that and, you, and, and we're alongside of Mary's question, which is actually asked before the gospel reading a moment ago, where she says, how is this possible? The angel comes to her and says, you will be with child. And she says, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. and He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That is the backdrop of the gospel reading where we and now find Mary has gone to be with Elizabeth, her cousin. And Elizabeth, the baby inside of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, leaps for joy at the sound of Mary entering the house. And, and, and then Mary goes into what's called Mary's song, or what we know as the Magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He's been mindful of my humble state of the humble state of his, of his servant. And now on all generations, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She is rejoicing in God. And she has heard earlier that he is doing the impossible. And that she has a, a significant role to play in that. And we say impossible, what do we mean? We don't, we, we don't mean from an illusionist perspective that we can't figure it out. We mean that it is humanly impossible. There's nothing that we can do in order to make it come about. And for 
the Son of God to be born from a virgin is truly impossible. And so she's rejoicing in this, and she's magnifying the Lord with, with just by virtue, first of all, of the fact that as, as a women in Bible times, the, one of their biggest aspirations was to bear children. Part of the, the angst and hurt that Elizabeth feels is that she's past childbearing age, but nothing's impossible for God. And so she conceives the messenger, the new Elijah, and Mary conceives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is impossible with God. And so out of that sense of, of seeing God do something that only God could do comes this heart of rejoicing. And that's Advent as we prepare for the coming of the Lord. We, as I said earlier, we've moved from kind of that, I got to be ready and I have to be repenting. You know, I, I need to let go of things that I've brought into this season. I need to let go of some kind of slovenly thoughts and habits and places that I know just don't please God. But that's giving way to a sense of anticipation, of joyful anticipation of God, the impossible happening, which is God coming down totally incarnate. We touched on that last week. He is fully God and he is fully man. This, this does and can only resolve at some level in rejoicing. And so Mary's rejoicing first in playing a part in that. Not something she signed up for, not something she volunteered for, but God chose her to do that. And she does it. She sees it happening because of her posture of humility and acceptance. Remember that she says, that we read earlier, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And Mary is known through the ages as one who is so humble in, in just wanting to receive what God has for her. Yaroslav Pelagin says this, in every century she serves as a model of patience, indeed of, of uh, quietistic passivity and unquestioning obedience. Any of the major Christian traditions, Roman Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, has a veneration for Mary in that regard. Now some of these other traditions share or have other aspects of who they see her to be. And in fact, if you, just a little excursus for a moment as we think about the, the, the way that the veneration of Mary has developed over the, it started in the early centuries. She's originally called the daughter of Zion. People seeing her as a second Miriam or as a second Eve. By the early fourth century, she's known as the Mater Dei in the Latin West, the mother of God or the Theotokos in the East, which is the one who gives birth to the one who is God. With that comes this, this sense of it, it's, she's just not a normal person. She's the mother of God that's worthy of a response. It's worthy of a reverence. And of course, this, this takes on sort of a theological life of its own through the centuries. And then you get to the Reformation, the reformers are like, we're pretty much focused on the New Testament and we're using that to interpret the old. And if you just use that as a criteria, there's not a lot about Mary, the mother of God. There's the Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so if you come from that Protestant tradition, maybe that's just not been a, a, as robust an experience. But every tradition, as I said, shares this idea of Mary as the, the servant, the one who says, be it done to me according to your will. 
And it's that same spirit that I want to, from the Holy Spirit, through Mary, to encourage us to connect with. Part of the reason, if you look at the text, and if you go back later tonight or tomorrow, if you look at the Magnificat, it is set up as a psalm of praise. It is, it is meant to be not just a narrative about what happened, but it's meant to draw us into what hap- what's happened and to be, find our response in the way that Mary is responding. And so as the text hopefully is working in our ways like that, you know, part of my th- thinking and prayer is like, Lord, where is it that I need to give thanks and rejoice for the things that you've done in my life, or in your case, in your lives, that you would see as impossible. They will not be on the magnitude of Mary being the mother of God. They will nevertheless be unique to you. And they will be significant from God's perspective. That uniqueness and that significance is what each of us shares with Mary and all the other people in Scripture that God has used for his salvation. And so part of apprehending Advent is to be in that same posture that she is and to say, you know, Lord, I rejoice in what you have done in me. You've regarded the lowly state of whatever it is. Some of you have, I know of, of it's, it's taken a while to find jobs that you would like to have. I know that firsthand. I've shared with some of you the last, when I was first starting, it was the last great recession before this more recent great recession. And that's just a hard time to find work. And yet, I, I can't create a job for myself. I can't create a health, a better health for myself. I can do some things. But these are things that we rely on at some basic level for the Lord to have his outworking. More than we admit, God has done things and is doing th- things in our lives that we cannot do ourselves. So in this Advent, let's rejoice in what we have seen him do. And let us not kind of squash that. You know, there's in the, in the Luke, Luke account, there's two prayers. There's, there's two visitations from the angel Gabriel to Mary uh, that we just read about, but also to Zechariah, to Elizabeth's husband. He's kind of the, the how not to respond category because he questions Gabriel. He, he wonders how this is going to be. The, the basic translation is, can I trust you? And so maybe that's somewhat of a growth edge in this Advent. It is for me. Where am I in my life, in my uh, as I think about these things, saying, Lord, where can I trust you? I, you know, where, can I trust you for how you're building our fellowship? Can I trust you for how you're watching over our family? Can I trust you for the future of our daughter and our husband? I can, all those things are things that I think about. And all those things to see God do what he wants in each of those situations is something that I can cooperate. And I should say, as Mary said, be it done, you know, I'm your servant. But don't let me doubt, Lord, in those places. Be alongside of me when I do doubt. You know, Mary, as she goes in her life, she, she responds and she knows that God's up to something. John has her at the wedding of Cana saying to Jesus, hey, they need some help. She knows that he can do things. And yet there's times where she doesn't understand. There's times when she can only ponder. There's times where she's not sure what's going on with her son and she gets her other kids and comes alongside and says, hey, Maybe it's time to go home. So we are not perfect in our response. But Advent is the time where I pray that we ask God, Lord, what is it? Let me rejoice in the impossible things that you've done in my life. Let me not 
think that that's all you're up to. Renew my heart and my faith. Renew that spirit that, is, that you gave to Mary that says, I am your servant. Be it done to me according to your will. But the other part of her, of the Magnificat, she is then rejoicing in what Jesus is doing, what her son is going to do throughout the world. That she uses, and this is where it gets fairly, uh, it looks like a little more familiar territory to us in terms of some of the Psalm and the prophets. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty. She realizes that the coming of Christ, God in flesh, is going to change everything. It's finally the revelation of God in human, as a human coming to finally take care of what we need most, which is not so much uh, get rid of the Roman oppressors. We need, you know, they needed that. It's not so much to have a more equitable way to distribute things and not be preyed upon by not only soldiers but tax collectors. They clearly needed that. But their greatest need and our greatest need is to be freed from the power of sin and the consequence of death. That is their need. And you don't get much of a window into that through this text, but as the gospel unfolds, that becomes more apparent. But we don't want to leave that there. The fact is that when the Lord comes, he comes with justice. When he comes with righteousness, he comes with a care and concern and a love for those who truly are on on sort of the hard side of aspects of life. And she rejoices that the coming of her son as the Messiah will have implications for that. Scattering the proud in their inmost thoughts. Raymond Brown says the proud look down on others because they do not look up to God. And so as I think about how to respond to this, Lord, don't let me be proud. Don't let me um, be so focused on things that are horizontal, those around me, situations around me, that I'm not looking up to you. I can only be in that humble posture that Mary exemplifies and demonstrates because she's looking up to the Lord, because she's in touch with what he is saying to her about what he wants her to do. If she wasn't in touch with that, it'd be very easy to just look around with a way of uh, an air of superiority for what God's doing. So God is up to things in the world, and we play a unique role in that as well. Part of the impossible things that God is doing in us also extend to how he allows us and enables us to minister and love those around us. Again, it won't be as significant as Mary's role, but it will be significant in, those, in the lives of those around us. It will be unique. It will be some ways that we can be salt and light to the people around us. It will be some ways that in our conversations with family and friends over this Christmas tide season, we can find ourselves perhaps in a more, uh, more in touch with the way God loves us that we might love them, more in a place of grace so that we can extend that to them. Christmas plans always have their own dynamic. Conversations have their own history. It's like, let's, let's make sure that this sense of rejoicing that is in the Magnificat is so much part of how we are interacting with one another. So let me just close with kind of an exhortation to, to contemplate, to think about these things, to pray through them in the remaining days of Advent. 
And if I can be so bold to suggest as an exercise, not a heretical idea, but as an exercise to write your own Magnificat. Well, if you are going to take a pen to paper and say, Lord, my heart rejoices, my, my heart magnifies the Lord because you have, and then what would you write down? And then when you start to think of the way that God has done impossible things, you can write that down for you. And when you start to see the, the, the ways that he has shaped your heart for the things going on around it, you can write that down. And when you see the victories, even however small they may be, however nascent they may be in their form and their shape, write that down. The Magnificat is a gift to us in our liturgical tradition. It is why it is a staple of the evening prayer if you do the daily office. But it is not exclusive at some level to Mary. It is something that is meant to be encouraging and shared with us so that we might take these, these same graces and that same heart of expectation that she had with her Lord and say, Lord, and we want to say along with her, Lord, be it done to me according to your will. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.